Welcome to Mind Your Own Karma, The Adoption Chronicles. I'm your host, Melissa Brunetti. In this second season of Mind Your Own Karma, we're tackling the subject of adoption. Yes, adoption most of the time is a wonderful experience. You have the generous birth parents, the excited adoptive parents, and this lucky little baby. Everyone lives happily ever after, right? But what I want you to know is, there's so much more to these stories. I'm an adoptee myself, and I want to bring all sides of the adoption journey to you in hopes to educate you and to bring understanding to the subject. We're about to get real and raw here, so let's dive right in. Hey there, Karma Crew. It's Melissa Brunetti, the host of Mind Your Own Karma, The Adoption Chronicles. Today, I have Donna Joseph on the show. She is an adoptee and is going to be sharing her very interesting story of her adoption and exactly how she found her biological relatives. Donna is self-proclaimed as just starting to come out of the adoption fog, and she's going to talk about what that looked like for her and how she's navigating that. Donna has the same dream as I do, as we both want to help adoptees and give them a hand up in the struggle of dealing with the trauma of adoption. And in fact, Donna is a trauma coach, so she's already been trained in this and she has the tools. So she's really hoping that in the future, she can use what she's been through and what she has learned to help others through their adoption trauma. Donna's story is broken up into two episodes, so the second episode will be next week, so tune in for that. So let's dive right into Donna's adoption experience. Welcome, Donna, to Mind Your Own Karma. I'm so glad you're here. Oh, I'm glad I'm here. So you are a trauma release coach. You're a speaker, a radio and podcast host, an author, a kid's entertainer, and now an adoptee advocate. And it's so funny because by talking to all these adoptees, it seems like we are, all of us are like a jack of all trades. Like we are so creative and like, it's almost like we we do so many things because we're trying to find ourselves, right? Like, I mean, I'm the same way. It's like, I do this, I do that. And everyone, you do that too. I'm like, yeah. Um, but, uh, I want to start by, cause uh, many adoptees feel like they had no life before adoption. The adoption day was when their life began. So you recently came to the realization that your journey and really everybody, everybody that's been adopted, their journey started in the womb. And when you, when your mother found out she was pregnant basically. So why don't you discuss that a bit first? I usually just kind of let you have free reign on your adoption story, but I kind of want you to start there first and then you can go into your adoption story. Yeah, because this is new. This is all very raw and new, this new beginning of my story is crazy that it's new, right? Yeah. (laughs) Um. And and it really is. So I will, my story would always have started when I'm three months old, when I was adopted at three months. Mm-hmm. Whereas over the last couple of months, it's like, absolutely not, you know, because all of this that's going on now with me, and we'll probably talk about all of that, is coming from the time that was before that point. Right. And being aware of the primal wound was like, like a smack in the face in a way not in a necessarily bad way, but it was like, oh my 
goodness, I can relate. Yeah. And I haven't even read all the book. I've just had snippets of it and Mm. I can relate to all of it. Wow. So I am, I say forced in a way, but not in a bad way. It's like a natural thing to, to go back. And so therefore, yeah, my story absolutely starts, I believe, should start from the moment my birth mother discovered that I was there in her in her tummy mm-hmm. and 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 thinking that just in itself like that is just brings me connected to her which I always was but yeah. I never I never really allowed it for, for for the many many reasons and I feel for the first time in 50 years I'm allowing that connection mm. um to be allowed and that's why absolutely the beginning of my story is from the moment she found out she was pregnant and what a journey. Yeah. And I'll be allowing, I think is a good word because when I found my birth mother, you know, that was one of the things I wanted to know was I wanted to hear that story about when she, you know, what happened, obviously like your why story, why, you know, you got pregnant. Why'd you give me up story? But I wanted to hear the birth story because, you know, growing up, kids get to hear like we went to the hospital and this happened that happened and I didn't have that story it was my parents picked me up at the adoption agency and brought me home at six weeks or whatever so it's just kind of weird mm-hmm. when I met her and I heard my birth story it still didn't sound real like I couldn't connect to it for some reason and so when you said allowing I wonder if I just wasn't allowing that, you know, so that really hit me when you said that, because I still feel really disconnected from it. Mm. And I don't, I was like, why do I not feel like that's my story? That's, that was me, but, but that allowing, I think is probably why. So go ahead with your story. So I was adopted at three months old, well, fostered and then uh, then adopted. So I left my birth mother at three months and was uh, legally adopted um, around six months. And my birth mother uh, was wise. I say was because she's passed. And my my father, biological father, uh, was black and he's also passed. And so I'm mixed race and I was adopted into a family about seven kilometers, 10 kilometers away from my birth mother. Mm. Obviously, she didn't know that. It was a closed adoption. And and my parents that adopted me um, are both white and they had their own son and daughter who was in a hospital because she was physically and mentally disabled so it was a white family in a very white village, a very nice white village, mm-hmm. uh, as in, you know, com- compared really with where I came from, which is one of the roughest parts of the city, to one of the probably the nicest suburbs. Wow. The only really real issue for me, um, and I say this was, I guess, a part of my um original story and I said I'm conditioned to say the only issue for me uh, was the color of of my skin it was a big issue for me um and now I it makes sense that that was on top of everything else and that's the difference now 
it all makes sense now. Like all the other traumas that came in around being in a white family. And now it makes sense that they were layered on top of the adoption trauma. Mm. Because I've dealt with the trauma of being a transracial as I, I, I believed I have. I maybe haven't, but I've, I've certainly worked on it. Uh-huh. And I've worked on abuse as well that occurred to me. But what didn't occur to me until recently is that there was something going on before that. And now it makes sense because I couldn't ever go deeper. So I've trained as a, for example, a coach in um, neuro-linguistic programming, which can involve tapping into the unconscious mind. And I was always very good at getting to others, but no one could get to me. Mm -hmm. No one could reach me. There was a depth that even I knew was there, but kind of hid to myself because I kind of was becoming accustomed to the fact that I was never going to deal with this. Mm -hmm. So to find out about a a lot from a lot of adoptees and adoptions that addictions are related to, um, can be related to trauma. Right. Makes made sense to me because Mm -hmm. it made sense. There's there's another trauma there that I wasn't aware of. But going back to my story, um, I grew up, my mom and dad fostered children. So, you you know, I do remember it being great in a way because there was always lots of children to play with. Yeah. And you never knew. I never knew who was going to wake up next to me because uh, I was the only girl, permanent girl. So if mom had uh, had an emergency um, night, uh, foster child, I could wake up to someone the next day and... You know, and one one thing that's beautiful is like children coming to the house that I lived in would be very distraught when they arrived, obviously. Yeah. But within a few weeks, if they had to leave, they wouldn't want to leave. Right. And that's testament to the home that I grew up in. Mm. You know, there was a lot of love there. So I am extremely lucky. Yeah. I I, I changed that from grateful to lucky. Do you feel like sometimes because I had a great adoption experience as well, but do you ever feel like um, you don't like on these sites that we're on and stuff that I always feel guilty saying that because I know so many people yeah. don't have that experience that I almost feel bad saying I had a good experience. Yeah. 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 I've felt that. I have felt that. Yeah. Uh, but I, and I, Although I do think it's really important that we do share um, because for especially my story, because the adoption trauma is there and I I was adopted into a, into a home with unconditional love. Yep. So it's a very powerful point. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm feeling that that, that, that has to override yeah. this. What again, what is it? People pleasing, not wanting to hurt, but now it's coming to the arena that we're in that we don't want to hurt. And I just think if we can't understand that, yeah, then where can we really speak our truth mm-hmm. around adoption? Because there's so many complexities and variables and horrific. Yeah. I mean, I 
I can't think about it too much because I know that desperation to know where you come from. So to to witness and hear daily and read daily of the extra layers of trauma that have come yes. to so many adoptees. It's heartbreaking. Yeah. And they, you know, and they, and they have manipulative adopted parents that never were really happy with them. Yeah. I, I, I can't imagine that. I can't either. That. I can't either. I don't know how you survive that. No. And many don't, which is another like revelation, mm-hmm. the amount of adoptees that have taken their own lives. Yeah. Now I, I can understand that my birth mother took, uh, well, I believe she took her own life mm. because where she was found. So I will talk about, talk about that in a moment, but knowing what I know now, if I hadn't have found my biological family and where I was in relation with my adopted family, I can relate to that, not wanting to be here. Mm. I, I, you know, I, I, so I have so much empathy yeah. for adoptees and I do feel that tang of oh I don't want to hurt them any more than they've already been hurt right but at the same time this is my truth and it yeah I want those adoptees that did have that loving home to realize that yeah it's still there um right yeah no matter what the experience the wound is still there that's the one thing that we as adoptees all have in common. Yeah. Yeah. So you grew up in a great home and then what happened? <laughs> yeah. Well, it got, I, I, it, it got, it got confusing. That's what happened. It got confusing for me. I, I, I always knew I was adopted. And when I, and I, I laugh about this, obviously I was the only um, black child within this home I mean, we were all different because all the foster children were different. There was my brother was half Hungarian, half Italian, so mm-hmm. he was quite dark skinned. You know, there was um, another girl that was ginger haired. We were all like a, you know, yeah, a mixed bag. But as I got older, um, there was a lot of children, and I, 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 I don't know really when I now think about that. Um, there was a lot of times I do remember feeling very lonely and being in my room a lot and what I've always said daydreaming I'm now wondering if I had disassociative mm. behavior <laughs> <laughs> um but it served me well yeah. actually served me very well in my head mm-hmm. rather than and I wonder why was I in my head so much and it was because I was different I didn't like my hair I didn't like my skin and I didn't, I didn't really, I think I really liked me very much. I wasn't very confident. I wasn't, yeah, I was in my head a lot. So this was as a young teenager or. Yeah. Leading up to like my, in my younger, younger years into in primary school. Mm-hmm. I think that was the way I, I remember being taken to a hairdresser's um, by my dad and it was um funnily enough I've since found out it was on the same street that my birth mother lived on above one of the wow. shops oh my gosh <laughs> and um but my dad wow. dropped me off there to this like proper like black West Indian hairdressers 
and um and he left me there and it was um and you know in some ways I don't blame him really because he probably felt as intimidated (laughs) as me (laughs) but you know for me being left there was it was um that was an experience but I remember seeing all these pictures of all these lovely wet look hairdos and really wanting my hair to look like that Mm. but in order for them to deal with that they'd have to chop all my hair off oh wow so I'd end up coming out there looking like a, a boy um so I was never happy with my hair. I was never happy with my skin. And then I turned 12. And all the way up until that point, I desperately, it grew more and more desperate that I wanted to know. I wanted a picture of my birth mother. I wanted a picture. I wanted to see what she looked like. It wasn't fair. Mm-hmm. And I was starting to get angry and defiant. And I remember shouting, I want to see my real mom. Wow. I want to know who she is. I want a picture. Um, you know, and my mom, it must have been hard for her because she had all these other children that had access to their birth mothers and fathers and their own child who had them. And um, so she did do what she um, could and got a social worker from the society that I was adopted and managed to persuade her to find me a picture. And um, the more I think about that now, the more I'm as much as the, the news I got was 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 not great from that picture, which I'll explain in a minute. The more I think about this now, the more I um I just I just love my mom, you know, because she was really doing what she thought was the right thing for me yeah. at the time. And it's only now that I've really mm-hmm. considered that. So many revelations coming up now, Melissa. Yeah, yeah. But I was, I remember I was waiting uh, for this social worker to come because we had a meeting and she had some news. And that's the memory I remember. I remember feeling so excited because if Mm -hmm. she had some news well that had to be a photo yeah because that's all I knew I could have I knew I was never going to be able to meet my birth mother until I was 18 Mm. but a photo was what I had just like I just could you know just to know what she looked like yeah yeah come on Mm -hmm. you know it's like give me that yeah yeah and um but it was it was uh it wasn't it wasn't the the photo that I I had hoped and um, the social worker, she sat us down and explained that my birth mother had gone missing. And there was a search out for her at that point. Now, I'm not sure whether I should have known this information. Yeah. And I'm not sure whether, because I haven't discussed it with my adopted mom yet, whether my mom even knew that this was the news that was going to be presented to us. Yeah. But, and I don't know if it was that meeting or the following meeting where I actually saw a newspaper clipping of my birth mother. And it was the worst picture that could have ever been put in front of me. It was grayed out. It was like looking at like a prison type, you know. My mom is a birth mom, is a beautiful lady with short hair, dark features. But this picture, she looked very serious and stern. And, oh. and it was like now when I think about these things now, never before, it makes me quite angry that the social worker would present me 
with such a photo in the first place. But this is, again, all these sort of revelations are a part of this coming out of the fog because I had sort of denied a lot of all of this around it. Um, But, yeah, over the two meetings that I had, I basically, by the end of that, I found out that my birth mother was dead Mm. and she'd been found at the bottom of a canal. So it was it was horrendous. Um, And what I do remember is I hugged the social worker. I remember sitting on those two settees and I was next to the social worker. And my mum and dad were on the other settee. And I burst into tears and hugged the social worker, which is a real indication as to where I was with my adopted parents, because I didn't even know the social worker. Yeah. Yeah. So when the first time when the social worker came and she said that they were your mom was missing, that was happening right then. Like they were looking for her. This is I mean, this is the crazy. It's the wrong word. What's the word? I mean, it's just surreal. It's in real time, Melissa. My desperation to find her was aligned with her what you know do if for me now I'm feeling that I'm feeling there was a connect and I also found out I'm getting and the I chills know when I, <laughs> when I don't know that. when I found this information out but I, 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 and I would like to find out if I could remember but I found out that the police were had she not been found were going to go to my adopted parents house to find out if she was searching for her daughter. Oh, wow. Now, another question that's come about now is, well, what's on the record that would indicate to you for her to want to go and find me? Yeah. Because as far as I'm led to believe, this is a very happy kind of, um, not happy, but, Everyone understands what's going on. My mom can't cope. So we're helping her out, mm. you know, yeah. and I'll wait until I'm 18 and I'll, we'll meet and, you know. Yeah. So why would she then maybe come and look for me? Right. And, and, and maybe she wouldn't, but why would the police why would they think go that? there? Yeah. yeah. Like, did she leave a note? Did she say something? I don't know. Somebody? anything. Yeah. Exactly. You can't, you, there's no, no way you can get records from them or you can't access that i'm sure i mean a lot of these revelations Melissa, are coming up now mm. over the last few months mm-hmm. and i i feel there's a there's a lot of a lot of things like this a lot of books i want to read a lot of things i want to you know but i am really going through a lot of healing right now yeah uh, like for example I, I i want to get in touch with the adoption agency i know there's information missing and I want to get um subject access request, I think, and get mm-hmm. all of my information. Um, I have just found out I've got um an, another biological sister. Yeah. And that's just come about. And I'm like, that's beautiful. But I, and I think for now, I, I can't take too much, you know. <laughs> it's like all coming at you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you found out about your mom and then what happened? Like, how did you process that? And I, I didn't. 
I didn't. I, and I, I think that was the moment when I, when I, my, I, I, my identity was, was screwed, really. I didn't get the support. I remember my mom had obviously spoken to the school because the school was aware of, um, not aware, but were aware that I might not be myself for a few days or something like that. Yeah. Um, but other than that, um, it was just kind of dealt with how it was in the eighties. That's how it was dealt with. It was just, you know, you know, my mom, my mom and dad are lovely, lovely people. And there was a lot of love, but there wasn't, we didn't really sort of talk and, you know, have those feelings discussed. Yeah. And so I, uh, I remember around this time, I believe I started smoking. Mm-hmm. Uh, I certainly started smoking um, and I started drinking. I remember raiding my parents' um, drinks cabinet, mm-hmm. mixing it all together and getting absolutely wow. hammered down the part and my dad picking me up. Um, and I got pregnant as well at 14. Uh, how I got pregnant is, uh, is, is it wasn't something that I was really actively really doing because I knew what I was doing. I actually do believe that I was so desperate for um, love and attention mm-hmm. that because, and I think this can stem from abuse as well, certain things are brought forward. So for a child, um and then at that age when boys are wanting this and you yeah. are confused and feeling, you know, nothing, mm-hmm. then that's how it happened. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it was a rough time, a very rough time. And um, I didn't keep the baby. Mm. The baby was... Um, I actually had another revelation a few months ago that I can very much, I want to step into a birth mother's shoes mm, mm-hmm. because had that been 20 years or however long before, then that would have been going off to a mother and baby home, having the baby come back as if nothing's happened. Yeah. And it was very much like that. No one knew about yeah. it. It was very much hush, hush. And I was even in a ward of uh, where women had miscarriages. So when I think about that as me being left in this room and these older women asking me what I was in for, yeah, what a awful situation or it just shouldn't be in that. Right. You know, and then just picked up and taken home and it's not spoken about. Yeah. Yeah. That's tough. So it's only really now that I'm, thinking about this um more i feel it's part of my adoption uh, a part of my past should i say that i just didn't really go there yeah after that you know just moved on and that's what i'd done all my life just moved on put it behind move on put it behind move on you know and and i've been doing that for decades right for survival. Complete yeah. survival, I now realize. And it all makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what about your dad? Do you know, what do you know about that side? So um, just from, so from, from then, um, when I was 16, 17, I left home and I um, met a guy and moved to London. 
the relationship wasn't good. Um, he was abusive and so was I. Mm. <laughs> I was angry. So anyone being abusive with me would only um, bring on abuse for myself. So right. it was quite a volatile, violent relationship. And um, a, f- a few years after that, I went, I was 20 and I went to find out about my birth mother. I went to the agency and I actually met the same woman, social worker that saw me when I was 13. Mm. So the head office was in London and I sat with them. And that's when I found out about my biological father. I found out his name and that's all I got was his name. Oh, wow. They gave you his name. Wow. They gave me his name. Yeah. Wow. And that was all I had was a name. Back then, we didn't have Facebook and all that <laughs> we have now. I know. Um, and what was bizarre is the name, the surname, was the same surname as um, my then boyfriend's uh, best friend and his cousin, who um, she and I used to always get mistaken for each other when we used to go out mm. in the city we lived in. So, um, yeah, she and I always got, um, mistaken and she's older than me. And then she and I also went on holiday because I was with my boyfriend, his best friend and his best friend's, uh, sister, cousin who was adopted as a sister. Um, so I went on holiday with this girl. Oh, wow. Um, anyway, that was that I found out his name, but the most important thing at that point was I found out I had a brother from my birth mother who was two years younger than me Mm. so and I also found out that the um relationship my birth mother was in was extremely abusive and violent so it was listening to this knowing the relationship I was in at that time was like looking in a mirror yeah at a woman that I'd never met Mm. other than up until three months old and finding out about that she was married to this guy and um and I had a brother who had been adopted and was with her until she passed. So honestly, on that day, I remember coming home from King's Cross on the train, knowing, Melissa, that I was not continuing this relationship one second more, mm. knowing I had a brother, knowing I had a brother and what my birth mother had gone through before she died. Yeah. I've, I, 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 I can remember it to this day. I remember ringing the landlord, arranging my deposit, wow. stand, standing on the iron mark so he didn't see it. And I got my deposit. I remember it all. Wow. And then I remember him coming home and me just telling him I was leaving. My bags were packed and I was gone. Mm. It was powerful. How old were you then? 20? 20. Yeah. Did you know where 20. you were going? Yeah, I had a friend. I'd started um, working at a job recently. I had a friend and I went all the way to Elephant and Castle and I stayed with her and I ended up living with her. She's a very good friend of mine to this day. She's my guardian angel. And yeah, she was my savior. And so your brother, how old was he when he was adopted then? He was adopted when he was nine. Wow. And he was very lucky as well. Mm. You did find him then? I found him at the meeting. I was told about a lady that um, knew my birth mother that may know where 
um, my brother was adopted and may um, you may be able to get in contact with her. I made contact with her and I heard from her straight away that she made contact with someone. And the next thing you know, I've got an address. Oh, wow. for where my, it was, it was that easy. He was just 18. Oh, okay. And um, his adopted mom talked to him, asked him if he would be okay. Now, what's beautiful is he knew about me. So our mom had always told him that he had a sister. Mm. So that's nice. Yeah. And he did want to see me. You still have a relationship with him? Yeah. And I, and I, I, I remember seeing that first picture of him with his two sisters, our adopted sisters, and staring at it for ages. I wrote to him and I waited ages typical man right (laughs) (laughs) but when I got that letter it was just amazing um yeah it was beautiful getting that letter from him and then soon after it's making me quite emotional because I don't (laughs) talk about that very as often but it was beautiful and then we met uh, in Birmingham where he lived and yeah we, we we he's my brother I've known him for 30 years Wow, what a story so far that Donna has told. And I think the thing that really, really got to me the most is when she talked about allowing, allowing the memories and the feelings of her birth mother and the before, the before your adoption day and allowing that birth experience in your life. And allowing the connection that she is trying to have with her birth mother, even though she's no longer here, no longer alive, and that she missed that, that at the exact time that she was needing and crying out for that picture of her birth mother, her birth mother was suffering. And ultimately, it appears that she took her own life. And in the coming weeks, I am going to address birth mothers and the PTSD that they are finding that they have from relinquishing their children. We have to remember that adoption begins with loss, the loss of a mother and a child and that relationship that they had had for nine months And we have talked a lot about the trauma that the baby goes through. But what about the birth mothers? Back in the day, they had no resources. They were told that they were doing the right thing and that they needed to move on with their lives and forget about their children. And how can you ask a mother to do that? No matter what the circumstance, how can you ask a mother to forget about their child and just move on with their life? And we don't know why Donna's mother ultimately took her life, but could it have been that Donna felt that connection at that moment because her mother was crying out for that relationship with her and desperately needed her daughter? The other thing that Donna brought up that really made me think was that she was a black girl growing up in an all-white family even though there were foster kids in and out of the home. And so there were non-biological children there as well as her. She was 
the only person of color in that family. So not only do you feel that you aren't totally fitting into the family because you've been adopted, you also have the color of your skin to deal with because when you introduce your parents, this is my mom and dad, obviously you were adopted by these people. And so that's just another whole huge hurdle for some adoptees that are racially not the same as the family that they're being raised by. And that not only led her to feel different, but it led her to not love herself or the way that she looked or the color of her skin because she was different. And she said that she withdrew and would just stay in her room a lot and was very lonely. And I've heard that's a pretty common thread among adoptees that they start to withdraw as they get into their teen years because they're trying to figure out why they feel the way that they do, why they feel lonely, why they feel like they don't even know themselves, why they do the things they do, and even why do they feel like they need to commit suicide. Suicide among adoptees is so much higher than the normal national average. And these things are the reason why I am doing what I'm doing. I need to get this message out. People need to know these things. It's time that we look at it instead of making it this huge fairy tale. There are adoptees that are hurting and I've been hearing it so much lately. It's really, really heartbreaking and something has to be done. It's time for us to tell our stories. And that is why I'm bringing these stories to this podcast. If you are an adoptee and you are hearing this message, you are not alone. You are not alone. There are so many great Facebook pages that I've been connecting with. And one of them is Fireside Adoptees. So if you are looking for a place to feel not alone. This is a great spot for you. They have Zoom meetings and you will not be judged. You can say and feel however you want and you are where you're at and it's okay. If you're interested in Fireside Adoptees, the link is in the show notes. So look them up. It is definitely a safe place for adoptees to express their feelings and what they're going through. So I hope you enjoyed part one of Donna's adoption story, and we will continue with part two next week. So come back for that. If you would like to connect with me, you can send me an email at mindyourownkarma at gmail.com and I will get back to you. I am currently looking to get some birth mother experiences on the podcast. So if you know of anyone that is brave enough to tell me their story, please have them get in touch with me. And I say brave because these stories can be very painful to tell and a lot of times very revealing in the telling. And so it is definitely difficult for these birth mothers to relive what has happened in the past. But I do think it's just as important to tell the biological mother's story 
as well as the adoptee stories. We can't change the narrative unless we tell our stories and get the word out about the truth, about what we've all been through. And when we do that, we help others along the way as well. I hope you all have a good week. And as always, take what you need and leave what you don't. And always remember to mind your own karma. I'll see you next time. Thank you so much for listening to Mind Your Own Karma, The Adoption Chronicles. I've had listeners ask how they can help support this podcast. The best way to do that is rate and review this podcast directly on your listening platform. You have no idea how this small gesture helps get the word out about this podcast. Don't forget to click the subscribe tab to get notified of future episodes so you won't miss a thing. You can also find my Instagram and Facebook links below if you would like to follow and support me there as well. Lastly, if you or someone you know would like to be a guest on the Adoption Chronicles season of the podcast, you can email me at mindyourownkarma at gmail.com. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time.